0: Welcome to another message in God's wonderful Word. Here at the Hillsdale Bible Church, we aim to learn God's way, that we might live God's way. May the words you hear today draw you closer to Him. Open your Bibles and your heart as we learn together in this message. for us uh, communion service preparation. We do this on the fifth Sunday. When a fifth Sunday appears in a month, we do that at the morning service. And it's not common that we have it in the month of November. But we've had five Sundays in the month of November. And today we're going to uh, participate of the communion service again. My, My desire is always to wrap the sermon around the communion service And actually, this whole month has been wrapped around a communion service. Uh, We've been talking about the mercy of our Lord. And we're going to do that again today here in uh, Psalm 103. I ask you to join me, verse 17 and verse number 18. Psalm 103, 17, and 18. says on these words But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his child and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. Join me in prayer as we begin here. Heavenly Father, thank you for your mercy your love that you have given to us. We've been talking about it for an entire month, and we will again today. It's actually a theme we can carry on throughout eternity. For your mercy is that great. Thank you, Lord, for it. And help us today to understand it as well. We will spend some time around this table, too. Focus on what you've done for us, and may we be grateful people. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning I was reading in the book of Lamentations. You're familiar with at least a verse or two of that book, especially in the center of chapter 3 in verse 22 and 23. It talks about the Lord's loving kindness. The words say, as Jeremiah writes them, remember he was in the midst of a disaster. He looked out upon his city that he loved Jerusalem, and it had been destroyed. You can almost picture, if you will, in your mind what used to be the houses and the and the stores and the temple for them to worship at, now just smoke rising and rubble on the ground, and, and people are gone, and there's no more joy in the place. It's a rather gloomy, very difficult place to be, and their Jerusalem sits and there Jeremiah sits and he looks out over the city and sees devastation in every direction and he says remember my affliction and my wandering the wormwood and the bitterness surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me and while he's just sitting I picture him sitting on a curb I don't know why I I always do sitting on a curb looking at all around him and his his soul is bowed down within him. And then he says, This I recall to my mind. Therefore I have hope. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. Think that through one more time. The Lord's loving kindnesses. That's his mercy. The Lord's loving kindness, His mercy. How do you picture mercy in the midst of rubble? The Lord's mercy never cease. Did it cease when that city came down? Did it cease when the temple was destroyed? Did it cease when the people were removed from the territory? No. His mercy never ceases. Sometimes we think circumstances change that mercy. We think difficulty changes that mercy. We have some hard time we're going through in God's mercy. Well, what happened to it? It's gone, right? It's diminished, right? It's less than it used to be, right? No. No, it's not. This is what he's what came to his mind. He realized the Lord's loving kindness never cease. His compassions never fail. And then he says, Why? It's not circumstances. It is, great is your faithfulness. That's why they don't change. It's God's faithfulness that maintains a mercy that never changes. Today, as we look at our passage here in uh, Psalm 103, you saw words very much like what I just read to you from Lamentations. It says in verse 17, the loving kindness of the Lord is from... Everlasting to everlasting. From everlasting to everlasting. I'm going to show you the future condition of mercy here as we think it through together. When we think of everlasting, we have to start with where we are and look into the future, don't we? That's what we think. We we look out and we that's our focus. Matter of fact, anytime we look at our focus from our viewpoint, we not only see everlasting out there, but we realize that we aren't physically. <laughs> these bodies we've talked about last week are very temporary things. And he talked about us being like the flower of the field and the dust and, and all these things. And, and uh, the wind blows and passes over. It's no more. was a rather depressing sermon to walk through.
1: But it was the reality
0: of who we are. We're so temporary. And we always measure things by clocks, by calendars, We try to vision and understand what is everlasting. What is everlasting? And all we can do is look into the future and think it's way out there. But from God's focus, notice where he can stand at any place. Everlasting is what has gone before and what is also coming ahead. Everlasting from, from everlasting to everlasting. Everlasting. He's got the past and the future wrapped up in it. Because He is eternal. When He explains mercy to us, it's not based on our view. I don't know if you've noticed this, but our view of mercy is somewhat limited. A matter of fact, it's a lot limited. God's view of mercy is from all the way into the past eternally, and all the way into the future eternally, and that's an awful big mercy. That's his perspective. And I think that's good as we start this little section here today that we get this view of God's kind of mercy. God's kind of mercy. It's eternal because God is eternal. It's not based on man, you see? And that's what I've been stressing all the way through here. Mercy is not based on man, it's not on what we've done, it's not on what we earn, it's it's no, there's no way we can have qualified for mercy anyway. We are temporary, we're limited, we're perishing, we're sinful. You put all those together and you say, well, you know, how do I get mercy? It's based on God. God's mercy. It's God's kind of mercy. And I like the fact that it's from everlasting and it's to everlasting. And it's also, according to the same verse, based on his righteousness, because that is too eternal, isn't it? God's righteousness is always the same. It doesn't diminish. He's not greater in righteousness today and less in righteousness on Mondays. He is consistently righteous. And so his mercy is always right. Understand that? His mercy is always right. So it's based on him. It's not based on us. It's an amazing thing to try to to wrap our minds around because we always look into the future like we might look on the horizon when we're driving down the road and we see the road go off and we, we sometimes let our minds wander a bit and say, where's the end of the road? Where's the end of the horizon? Where's that vanishing point? And then try to imagine that God's perspective of things goes even beyond that. Far beyond. Because it's, Everlasting. He's already measured mercy for us. It's as high as the heavens. Remember those verses? We had them several weeks ago. They're as high as the heavens. They're bigger than our sins. They're as far from the east as from the west. That means there's no limit. They're not bound by time. It's not going to perish, it's perpetual. His righteousness and His mercy, they match and they last forever. Now that's very important for us. As we consider the mercy of our Lord, as we remember His mercy. His mercy will not fail. It will not fail. We fail. We feel terrible. I hope we do anyway. I hope our conscience pounces on us. When we do things of this. And we come away thinking, this is just terrible, Lord. How can you have mercy on me? Who are we evaluating in that as far as the quality of mercy? It's always on us, right? We're always thinking, me, me, me. And yet when I say it, his mercy will not fail. It doesn't go away. It doesn't vanish. You can't spend it all. Because you didn't earn it at any in, in the first place. I like that pr- picture. Because we need that as we start this little section here. Because as a believer, here we stand on this side of the cross and we have received mercy. And God's riches in mercy has been showered upon us. We've been lavished with it. I've been using a bucket. My bucket's not here today. It's over there somewhere. Uh, I've been using a bucket as an illustration as As that which God has poured on us. I don't mind living in a bucket like that. Do you? A bucket of his mercy. His provision that he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives. Now I give you all that as a very important point as we start into this. Look at these words. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. See that little phrase? Hold that. And his righteousness, it, it goes with the same verb. It's from everlasting to everlasting. His righteousness to children's children. To those who keep his covenant. And remember his precepts to do them. To do them. I want to highlight something for you here. Concerning the future condition of mercy. God's kind of mercy, as I've explained all the way through, is an eternal mercy. But it comes with a relationship. A relationship. God is not careless with mercy. God is generous with mercy. But he is not careless with mercy. There are things in this passage that make us stop and look again. Because mercy is linked to a relationship. A relationship. Those who do not know mercy are those who do not know God. I'm going to spell out a few things for you here. And it gets rather personal because it's between you and your Lord. And it has to do with mercy. We form all kinds of bonds in this life relationships that we have made. And some of them are of the more serious kind, of course. The the bonds in a family. There's a bonds in a marriage. There are bonds that we make in in many different ways. And some carry a lot more weight than others, I know. But we have bonds of of just friendship and and common love. We have bonds in a church fellowship. We we become members of a fellowship. We, We make bonds in a lot of different ways. And yet there's something that's true of all these bonds that is also spoken of in this passage. And this bond that we can have with God, a relationship we can literally have with Him, says that it's, it's based on those who fear Him. The loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him. The word fear is, talks about a reverence, a respect. A, a, it's got the nature of worship to it. If you want the opposite, it's the word contempt. That's hatred towards something. No desire to be around it. Look down upon it. And i realize realized that as I look out over the landscape of American church, a lot of people love to wear the badge that they are in a relationship with God. That's, Something that they would, might use in the idea, well, I know who he is. Or, or uh, uh, my church worships God and things of that nature. But when you examine their life, do they really have a relationship with him? Or do they just carry the badge around with them and say, I belong to this, I belong to that. And treat him as if they don't know him. Spend a whole week in no relationship with him. One hour a week. How well do relationships bond at one hour a week? Just one hour a week. And the rest of the week you don't even think about that, that individual. You speak of God and and sometimes people would just use that as, well, of course I have a relationship with him. I just go to church on Sunday mornings. And yet, back in the days of Jesus when he was uh, speaking to the Jews who had a relationship with him, Right? He was their God. But Jesus pointed out, but you don't know him. You don't know him. They had no fear of God. They had no respect of God. Their worship was all ritual and routine. And then he brought out this story in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? No. Is that a good thing to do? Yeah. Prophesy in the name of the Lord. Lord, did we not cast out demons in your name? That's quite a feat. You ever practice that? Probably not. I don't do that. I stay away from that kind of a topic. But some people walk around and say, Hey, I did this in your name? Does that count for anything? Lord. He says, In your name I performed many miracles. In your name. I put your name on to do these things. I carried the little badge. I stamped your name every time I was done. So everyone knew I did this in your name. I did this in your name. I did this in your name. name. If the verse extended, I went to church. In your name. I gave to the offering. In your name. I taught Sunday school. In your name. I did this. In your name. In your name. In your name. In your name. And then the response. And I will declare to you, Jesus says, I never knew you. What frightful words those are. You know what that tells me? We can do an awful lot in his name and never know him. Right? Right? We can't. See, a relationship, a bond that we're talking about here concerning mercy, it's not something God just carelessly flings out and anyone could just pick up the badge and wear it and walk on. But He says it has to do with that relationship of those who fear me, who know me, who respect me and worship me. That's important. That's very important. Where are you right there in that picture? Where are you in that picture? He says this bond also has respect even for others in a relationship in the sense it, it attaches to children's children. Same verse. Have you ever thought that maybe just God cares about you and, and not anybody else around you? When we get kind of Selfish or self-centered, we do that, don't we? You know, we're at work and we're among people that aren't believers and all that. Well, God's got his mercy on me, but all these other guys, boy, they don't get anything. You might be in a family, perhaps, where you're the believer and the rest of them aren't believers. And you say, well, God's got his mercy on me, but all those those rest around me, you know. Does God caring only about you or also about those related to you? It says, to children's children. You know, an interesting passage. We'll go look at it together because I think you should see this. It's in Second Samuel chapter 7, 7th chapter, uh, chapter of Second Samuel. Here David is given a covenant by God. The, oh, there's my bucket. It's right there. Okay, the bucket's right here. I didn't even notice it. <laughs> okay. Um, God had this, had this covenant for David. He said to David, I will make your family a blessed family. I will have a covenant with you. And in that sense, you will never lack a descendant upon this throne. His, his ultimate fulfillment of that covenant is in Jesus Christ, who will sit on the throne of David and reign. That's the future still. But in this passage, I found it very interesting. Uh, verse number 8. This, these are the words that God made as he spoke to David. He says, Therefore, now therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, From following the sheep to be ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone and have cut off all your enemies before you. And I will make you a great name like the names of the great men who are on the earth. Doesn't that just have mercy written all over it? All these things God has done for him. He says, I will appoint a place for you, a place for my people Israel. And I will plant them and they may live in their own place and not be disturbed again, nor will the wicked afflict them anymore, as formerly. Even from the day that I command judges to be over my people Israel, I will give you rest from your enemies. The Lord also declares to you that the Lord will make a house for you. Now, David's sitting here, receiving all this. The Lord is going to bless him with this, and bless him with that, and bless him with this, and the blessings are just piling up in these Perhaps sitting there thinking, boy, I'm going to to just have blessings all around me. And then the Lord shows, shows them this in verse 12. When your days are complete, and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. He's talking about Solomon, David's son. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of men and the strokes of the sons of men. But, verse 15, I love this, right in the middle. But, my loving kindness shall not depart from him. What has Solomon done to receive that mercy? Nothing. That's the nature of God's mercy. Isn't it interesting how it can spill out on others? Because, it's been on the first. There's so many examples of this in Scripture. But one good one, perhaps, is in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 14, where it talks about a, a, a believing spouse, a believing wife, who's living with an unbelieving husband. And she is not to leave that relationship because she sanctifies the husband. And you say, "Who? what a weird word. What's that? Because... The Lord has blessed her and granted her mercy and granted her the, the blessings of that relationship. It spills into a home. Here's the picture it doesn't save the, the unsaved person. It doesn't do that at all. But wouldn't you rather see four people in a room and one believer or four people in a room and no believers? You see? A simple picture. The influence of one believer in a home. One believer blessed of the Lord. One believer putting their attention to Him. One believer walking in His way. You don't think that won't influence three others? Bless three others? Provide for three others in some special way? That's God's mercy. Going from children to children and generation to generation and families and spilling over. How He has blessed so many. Because he had one in that home that he knew. You might be that one in a home that the Lord is blessing right now. And it does affect the others. Number one, they get a simple blessing in that they see you walking with the Lord. I think our world needs more people like that, don't you? Desperately needs more people like that. You're an example of truth. You're an example of God's grace and mercy. You're an example of one who desires to do what's right according to the Lord. And that does have its effect. I like the picture here when he talks about relationships. It's not just aimed at one person and they're isolated from the rest of the world. But it blesses and benefits because God's goodness is so great. It spills out on his beloved and affects the children around them. It doesn't guarantee salvation, I know that, and I stress that. But it doesn't give us any excuses for not knowing God's mercy. We see it because others carry it about. See, God has used this in many different ways in His Word. In the sense that when you love God, are you to love His Son? Are you to love the children of God because you love God? There's passages all over scripture that tells us about this. You can go to 1 John chapter 4. I'm just going to read it to you. Because I know I don't have a lot of time and I've got a lot I want to share with you. But in 1 John chapter number 4, right to the end, he says, uh, We love... Because he first loved us. Verse 19. If anyone says, I love God, and hate his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is a Christ is born of God. Whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. And by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God. And observe his commandments. John is full of that in this epistle. It's a relationship that goes far beyond us. Alright? That's the point. It goes far beyond us. It's not just about us. It's about a relationship that involves his children. It goes from his children to children to children. And the passage tells us so. That relationship that God has formed is much bigger than we are. Much bigger than we are. And comes, according to this Psalm, Psalm 103, it comes with this statement, those who keep his commandments, or his covenant, they keep his covenant. Now in the Old Testament, the concept of covenant is, is on the pages in many, many different places. We've got the Noahic covenant, covenant with Noah. We've got a Mosaic covenant, the law code. The covenant with Moses is the Old Testament law. We've got the Abrahamic covenant. We've got the uh, what we used to call the Palestinian covenant, but we don't like that word anymore. So we changed it to the uh, land covenant, theologically. We, we talk about the new covenant. We have just covenants all over the place that we talk about. And I try to be very careful when I mention covenants. There's, there's concepts and theologies and everything built around covenants. But what it really comes down to is an agreement. An agreement in a relationship. An agreement between two parties. And we live that way, even though we don't know it. We we live by assumptions. We have an assumption here this morning, for example. An assumption that you would not like it for me to go out and kick the fenders off your car. Now, would we all agree that's a pretty... A common thing we have among each other? We we expect things like uh, the simple phrase, we live by the golden rule do unto others before they do unto you, right? No. No. We live by an assumption in a relationship that we do good to each other, right? That's a bond. It's assumed, we didn't write it down, we didn't say, I couldn't go kick your car bumpers or anything. That's not, but we understand it, because we have a an unspoken agreement, if you will. Now, there were times when God made a very clear agreement and spoke it to Abraham. He's blessed Abraham, and he said, through you I will bless the world. All mankind will be blessed through you, Abraham. An unconditional covenant. Now, we are beneficiaries of that covenant because that included our Savior. And we've been blessed through Him. So we would say, okay, there's a covenant. The law codes. God gave in Exodus, he gave this covenant to the people, to what is expected of them in the law, what, what they are to do, what they're not to do, in order to show them, how do you walk with God? Because a simple covenant is that two people have to agree to walk together. And here, God had designed it to show them how they can be holy and have communion with him. And we don't follow the law code, but we sure do follow a lot of the laws. Such as, do not murder, do not steal. I mean, those are still valid, right? You like those laws? They're very important. We have elements of that still in our life here. They speak of a relationship we have with the Lord. Now, the Lord has made this kind of bond with us in some special ways, a promise for one. Here's this promise in Peter. He says in 1 Peter 1, 3 through 3-5, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Right? It's through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So we didn't earn it, He did. And it involves an inheritance, which is for us, which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away and reserved in heaven for you, which is protected... By Him. Now, hasn't He blessed us? He has done something for us. Are you counting on that promise? Why? Because God said so. He keeps His word, right? He's formed a bond with us. It's, it's a wonderful thing that He has done. Does He have expectations of us? Like in Ephesians, walk in a manner worthy of your calling? Does that sound like an expectation? Absolutely. So he has made these relationships that involve these covenants, if you will, and they speak of those who will walk with him. Walk with him. Walk with him. The way he's designed it. Jesus said, he who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. It is he who loves me. This is not earning his love. This is showing that you have a relationship with him. You keep his commandments. And he shall be loved by my father, and I will love him and disclose myself to him. We know, he says in John 5, 1 John 5, we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. Now these three things I just set before you are real simple. When we have this relationship with God, it has to do with a respect for his person. It's a bond built on that respect. It's a bond that has respect for all those that are involved in our life as well, because it spills out to those around us. But it's also a bond that comes with this agreement that God has made, and it's always on his part, where he has promised to us, promised to us, promised to us, and we simply respond to that by walking in his ways. There's one more thing that goes with this, and it's also in our psalm here. It's in verse 18. It has to do with something deliberate. I think a bond is deliberate. It's not accidental. A relationship just doesn't happen. It says, at the end of verse 18, it says, and this mercy that is extended is to those who keep his commandments and remember, see that word, remember? Remember, His precepts to do them. One of my favorite quotes, and I've said it often, Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. D.L. Moody said that years ago and I just thought it when I heard it for the first time, not by him, of course, (laughs) but by somebody who quoted from him. I've marked that in my mind. Heaven is a prepared place for a prepared people. No one... Accidentally goes to heaven. You may wake up in the morning and and find suddenly you have a headache, but you don't wake up in the morning and suddenly you're a Christian. How'd that happen? Oops. No, you don't say it that way. But are you? I mean, we don't wake up that way. We don't. We don't realize that that uh, a relationship with the Lord is something we're unaware of. He's saved you and you don't even know it? He's given you a place and you don't even know it? We're not not—we're not believers from ignorance. We must know Him. We must know Him. This is the way John said it. You can see it in his first chapter. John chapter number 1. He says it so clearly. I, I'm going to read to you verse 13. And I'll back up and read verse number 12. But here he says in verse number 13, speaks of those who are born. Born. He's talking about spiritual birth here. He's talking about a Christian. All right? And who are these people? They're not born of blood. They're not born of blood. That's the the concept of a of a relationship like mom and dad were believers and so because they're believers and, and I'm conceived of them, I am now a believer. No. No. The Christian it's not possible by conception. It's not born of blood. It's not by manipulation, the will of the flesh. Oh I know a lot of people who worked on that department. The will of the flesh, the will of the flesh, the will of the flesh. They go about saying, I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this. And because of all that, God's going to look on me and have to save me. No. You're not born of the will of the flesh. It's not by manipulation. It's not something we can do. No, it's not true. It's not by the will of man. It's not by determination that we become a Christian. Not by conception, not by manipulation, not by determination. But it is by reception. The first, verse number 12. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. Right? Reception. You receive what he has done for you. But as many as received him, not it, him. See, there's a difference. We're talking about a relationship with the Lord. Not somebody who just carries around a badge that says mercy on it. But they have a relationship with Him. Those are the folks who remember. They remember. We've already walked through this psalm long enough to know that God in His mercy chooses not to remember our sins. Isn't that a good thing? He does that. We saw that in, in Jeremiah. We saw it in this pages, verse 11 and 12 of this psalm, as high as the heavens are above the earth, as far as the east is from the west, he has removed our sins, our iniquities, and yet, some reason, when we read those very words, we say, oh, that's wonderful, Lord, you've just forgave me of all my sins, you've took them away from me, you've put them up so high, I can't reach them, and then we go out and get the stepladder, and we climb up there and grab them, and pull them back down, and wear them another day, don't we? Isn't that a funny way we treat mercy? It says it's spread as far as the east is from the west. That's that's so far away that we can't bring them back up. But guess what we try to do? Bring them back up. It says it's buried in the depths of the sea. And we put on our diving equipment, go down and get them and bring them back up again. Are we like that? Do you know why we are like that? Because we don't understand His mercy. When He says, I have... Removed it and forgave it and forgot it. Isn't that an incredible concept? What does God do? What does God remember in this text? Saw it last week. He remembers that we are but dust. Now, here's an interesting concept. Put it together. We choose to remember our sins, which He forgot. We choose to forget that we're made by him, which he always remembers. We run counter to him so often, so often, so often. And these folks who remember his precepts are counting on, they are walking with him. They remember these things, they know these things. They bring it to mind, they put their bookmark on it. This is his precept. It's important to him, it's important to me. That's how I will walk. Because I've received mercy. They're important to Him. They're important to God. So they're important to me. You don't accidentally become this way. You spend time with Him. And you learn to remember like He does. You learn to walk as He does. You learn to to think as He does. That's a deliberate step. Are you taking those steps? Are you taking those steps? Because your growth is not going to happen accidentally. It's a deliberate thing. This relationship that we have with Him is a deliberate thing. It's taken by one who intentionally remembers the precepts of God. It's taken by one who actually does them and not merely talks about them. It's taken by one who sees his relationship with God as a covenant and not as a convenience. But a covenant. He sees... These steps taken as respect to the Lord. He knows who he's walking with, and he agrees with that God. That's the relationship we're looking at here. That's the one that we've been reading about all the way through this passage. That's the one, blessed of the Lord, that's the one receiving all this mercy. Now, is it true that God gives mercy even toward unbelievers? Does the rain fall on the just and the unjust? Yes. That is true. The unbeliever breathes, and the unbeliever moves, and the unbeliever lives under that same grace as the believer does in breathing and living and moving. But there will be a day, folks. There will be a day when the unbeliever breathes his last. When that unbeliever breathes his last, the rain won't benefit him anymore. They will no longer move. They will no longer live on the earth. There's a place that scripture says so clearly. It's called the lake of fire. And that's where the unbeliever goes. How long? Forever? Are those the words you've heard before? Forever? Yes. As far as the eye can see and beyond. That's forever. Forever. That's the mercy we've been talking about. Imagine forever without any of it. Imagine forever without even a glimmer of hope. Without one touch of a single drop of grace. Without one flicker of a pure beam of light from God. Forever. Now that's an awful long time. Awful, I underscore. For those who step off this earth without the mercy of God. Without a relationship with Him. I bring that before you today because you're one of those two that I've described today. You're one of those two. Either you have that relationship with Him because of Jesus Christ and you received Him. Because God takes no others. Says only through Christ He is the way and the truth and the life, and no man comes to the Father but through Him. And if you've approached Him through the Son, Jesus Christ, you received Him as Savior, and you stand before Him, you have been showered with mercy. That will never, ever end. That's what He said, right? That's what He said. But if you're living today without any relationship with Him, I just described to you in the last part of this passage, those who, who do not know Him, who are far from Him. You step off this globe someday and you will. You will go into an eternity with no mercy. I don't want any of you to be there. But it is a place that's real. God said so. And He's always saying what's right. I want you to examine your hearts today, because this is so important. We're not just going through a ritual when we bring up bread and bring up the the drink. We're remembering what Christ has done. And what He has done is died for you, right? He's died for you. There's our mercy! We receive it. And we sit around this table and rejoice, even though it's the saddest thing to remember. He shed his blood. He died on a cross. He suffered. We know all that. And yet, at the same time, we're so thankful that he did it. And I want you there this morning. I want that to be your response to this table. Lord, how merciful you are to me. I thank you for it. I want us all to be able to do that and say that. But I want you to know, it's only through Christ that you receive it. That's where we have to be. So this morning, as we pass these plates, they will come your way. If you do not know Jesus Christ is your Savior, if you don't have that relationship with God the Father, let the plate pass by. Don't take of it. Let it pass by. But remember in that very act as it goes by that you've had another opportunity to receive it and you didn't take it. Think about that. Think about that. But if this plate comes your way and you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you'll receive that gift of eternal life. You have that relationship with God. It may not be where it should be, but you want it to grow. Be thankful as you take of those parts. Be thankful of what he's done for you and give him praise. This song says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Can we do that this morning? Let's do it. Heavenly Father, thank you for the nature of your mercy toward us. The forever side that we looked at here today, how great it is that you should give us that kind of mercy and make it possible because we know your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for giving us such a priceless gift, our Savior, in giving your life for us and paying for our penalty that we deserved, carrying our sins, our guilt, our iniquity, our transgressions, our trespasses. You took them all away. Thank you. Thank you that you took those things that were held against us and had them nailed to a cross, that we might be set free. Thank you that you took our death, that we might have life, that we can walk in newness of life. That we can walk with our God and be in agreement with Him. That we can have this bond that you have granted to us. A growing thing, but a sure thing because it's based on God's character and not on ours. Thank you that you have made this all possible for us. And we rejoice and we praise your name as we take of these, these reminders the little piece of bread and the little cup of drink. We remember what you have done, Lord. And we are so thankful. Again, draw those to you that need you today who have not had that relationship but understand it now. Only your spirit can change a heart and we count on that today. Change those who need it. And certainly change us because we know you better. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.